Thank you for listening to this recent message from the Rescue Church. We pray that God will use this message to encourage, challenge, and inspire you on your faith journey. If you'd like to learn more about the Rescue Church, please visit us online at therescuechurch.com. Well, hey, good morning, Rescue Church. Welcome each and every one of you in all of our different locations. Today's a big day in the life of our church. Uh, As we speak, myself and Pastor Sam Pickard, we are down in Garretson celebrating the final worship service with our Garretson campus. But I'm happy to get an opportunity right now to share the message with each and every one of you. And it's awesome having you with us, regardless of whether you're joining us online or whether you're joining us in one of our campuses We're so grateful to have you with us this morning. I want to start by asking you to imagine something with me, if you would. Imagine a family that's just hanging out in their home on some random evening, just enjoying a night at home. There's nothing going on. Everyone's kind of home this evening. Don't you love nights like that, that we're just all kind of together? And uh, here's a problem, though. They start to smell smoke, and they're kind of asking each other, do you smell something? Does it smell like something's burning? And they all kind of agree that there's a little faint smell of smoke in the air, but they quickly just dismiss it and go ask probably the neighbors having another bonfire. They do that from time to time. And and so they just ignore it. But what they don't realize is that their house is on fire. Now, in pretty short order, they're going to realize this. But as we speak, their house is on fire and they don't know it. Okay, we're going to put a pause on that story and just let their house burn for a little bit, all right? We'll come back to this family whose house is on fire in just a moment. But I want to quick remind you a little bit of what we talked about last Sunday as we're going through the book of John. We're in John chapter 3, and we kind of stopped right in the middle of this conversation that was taking place between Jesus and this guy by the name of Nicodemus. And so in John 3, we we read verses 1 through 15, I believe, last Sunday. And uh, what we saw is Nicodemus was this uh, Pharisee. He was this religious leader who wanted to get closer to Jesus, but he did not want to be associated with Jesus in public. So he comes to Jesus in the middle of the night. He has this conversation with Jesus. And we saw last Sunday a little bit of this conversation unfold. And if you missed that message, you can go watch it online on our website, therescuechurch.com, and uh, get caught up to where we're at. But we stopped in verse like 14 and 15, the last verse we read last Sunday, Jesus was saying to Nicodemus, it was an interesting statement. He said like, just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so the son of man must be lifted up so that whoever believes in him will have eternal life. And remember, we said last week, like that was referring back to an Old Testament story where God was judging and punishing the children of Israel. They're getting bit by snakes, and and Moses lifted up this bronze serpent. And if they wanted to be healed of their snake bites, they had to look at that serpent. Remember that story? And what Jesus was saying was essentially, that's why I have come. I have come to be sin. Sin is going to come upon myself, all the sin of the world, and I'm going to hang on a cross. And the way to be forgiven of your sin will be to focus on me, will be to turn toward me. That's where we left it last week. Today, as we open John chapter 3, we're going to read what is probably the best known, most memorized, most recognized Bible verse in all of the Bible, 
John 3.16, it's the very next verse that follows where we left off last Sunday. And we're going to look at John 3.16 and hear what Jesus has to say to Nicodemus. He's saying, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. I want you to notice four things about this verse. There's four truths I'm going to draw out of John 3.16. There's probably more applications we could make, but here's four things. If you've got your handouts and you're following along with me, write these down. Number one, God initiated my salvation. What, what I mean by that is the fact that for those of us who know Christ, for those of us who have invited Jesus Christ to be our Lord and Savior, we've believed in Him, we've been forgiven of our sin, we've been adopted into His family, we've crossed over from death to life, all of the, the different ways that we describe that spiritual moment when we receive Jesus into our life. What we need to understand is this. God took the first step in our direction. We didn't choose him necessarily. He made the first move toward us. He initiated our salvation. The fact that we are born again, the fact that we have been rescued and saved is because he moved toward us first. And why did he do that? Here's the second thing I want you to write down. God's heart toward me is love. I believe God brought some people to the Rescue Church this weekend, maybe for no other reason than to hear his voice speaking over your life. My posture towards you, my heart towards you is one of love. Sometimes, and depending on your upbringing and your church background, sometimes we've been introduced to a God who's very angry. And our perception of who God is is he's this very angry, distant impossible to please father and he loves to use words like wrath and judgment and condemnation and he loves to punish people who step out of line and who do wrong but according to john three sixteen, the heart of god is one of love there is a god in heaven who loves you and i want to say something else about god's love It's this, God's love is for the whole world, if you would write that down. For God so loved the world, the whole world. See, sometimes we we are okay with the fact that God loves me. I can understand why God would love me, but I'm not necessarily understanding how God could love other people. Hey, church, you need to realize something, that God's love is for the entire world. God's love is not just reserved for one specific nation. I believe there's some Christians that need to lean in and listen to what I'm getting ready to say next. Um, As much as I love my country and have, I think, a healthy sense of patriotic pride in in my country where I was blessed to be born, and according to the Bible, we do have dual citizenship, so I I am a citizen of my country, and I'm proud of my country, and I love my country, but hey, Christians, did you know something? That God is not an American. Did you know that? Did you know that the cross and the American flag really don't have a lot to do with each other? I mean, did you know that God came to save way more than just American people? Did you know that? Did you know that his love is not just for one specific race of people? 
It's for the whole world. Did you know that his love is not just for the lovable people or for those who do good and whose lives are kind of more moral than other people? His love is for the broken, for the lost, for the wicked, for the sick, for the unlovable, the undesirable. I'm telling you, if you can hear my voice today, If you can understand what I'm saying, regardless of your past, regardless of your present, there's a God in heaven who loves you. His love is for the entire world. And we would do well to remember that from time to time when we start thinking that somehow we we deserve God's love because of who we are and what position we've been born into in this world and the color of our skin or the, the amount of money that we have in our family or whatever. God's love is for everyone. And then finally, here's something else I want to draw out of John 3.16. God's love for me demands a response from me. I'm calling this message today, Love That Demands a Response. Because in John 3.16, Jesus said that God loved the world so much that he gave his only son, his one and only son. But here's the thing, whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Well, what happens to those who don't believe? He's going to go on to talk about that in in the next verse. In verse 17, he says this, For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. According to those verses, what Jesus is saying is this. Jesus did not come to condemn. He came to save. God is not in the condemnation business. God is in the salvation business. His heart is a heart of a rescuer, of a savior, not of a condemner. And yet that verse talks about condemnation. It's It's like there's these two extremes opposing each other. On one hand, we hear about this loving God who wants to save us, and yet then we hear about condemnation. And see, I think sometimes we want to point our fingers at God as a condemner, but what This verse is saying what Jesus is saying here is this, that if we reject the offer of rescue, we are the ones who stand condemned because of our decision, because of our heart. Let's go back to this family I talked about earlier whose house is on fire. I want to paint two different examples, two different pictures Okay, on one hand, it's what I first started to describe. They're at home, in their house, their house is on fire, and they don't know it. But thankfully, somebody, one of their neighbors, sees flames pouring out the roof of their house and calls 911. In the United States of America, that number will get you help. You call 911, and within moments, the fire department is racing to the scene of your house. And all of a sudden, there's pounding on the door. And, and you open the door, and it's the firefighter saying, your house is on fire. You need to come with me right now. Now, I got a question. How many of you in that moment are going to say, um, excuse me, I'm trying to watch TV. Get off my porch. Nobody, right? I mean, who would not immediately go with the firefighters and say, oh, man, my house is on fire. Family, let's go. We got to get out of here. The fire department's here. Our house is on fire. 
But just imagine for a second if that family, it's unthinkable to even imagine this, but, but just suppose that they were to say, no thank you, mind your own business, we'll take care of us, you do you, we'll, we'll do us, get off of my lawn, take your shiny red trucks with the bright flashing lights and go somewhere else please. And if that family were to perish in their house that was on fire, whose fault would it be? Would it be the rescuers who showed up and attempted to tell them the truth? That your house is on fire and you need to come with us? We can rescue you, but you got to come with us? Their lives would be on their own hands, right? Like, they would have condemned themselves to perish. That's what Jesus is saying there. Or, let's say this. I'll give you another example. Let's suppose the family now realizes, oh my goodness, our house is on fire and the smoke's filling up and everything. And they've managed to get to a window. And so now when the fire department pulls up on the scene, they've got all these members of the family hanging out a window. You know, smoke's blowing out above their heads and they're waving, we need help. They recognize they're in need of being rescued. But the moment the firefighters put a ladder up to their window and say, all right, we're here to rescue you, but you got to come with us. This is the only way out. You've got to come down this ladder. Imagine that family saying, who are you to tell us that's the only way out? All ideas are equal. All ways lead out of this house safely. We'll find our own way to get out of the house. We can take care of this problem without you. Thank you very much. And they decide to reject the offer for salvation and rescue because they don't want to be rescued under the terms that the rescuers are offering salvation. Are you following this analogy? They die in their house. Whose fault is it? Is it the rescuer's fault who came and said, there's one way out of this house and it's with us. You've got to come down this ladder with me. Or would it be their fault who rejected the offer of salvation and believed a lie that other truth claims are equally valid and they'll find their own way. They'll take care of their own problem. Thank you very much. That's what Jesus is saying here in these verses when he says, the Son of Man did not come to condemn the world but to save it. And anyone who believes, anyone who receives that salvation that the Son of Man came to deliver, they will be saved. But if we reject Jesus Christ, we stand condemned because of our own actions, because of our own will and our own decision. It's our fault. It's not God's. God is not in the condemnation business. He's in the salvation business. And, and here's the thing, to me, and I'm sure you're following this going, that's, that's silly, John. Like, who would do that? Who in their right mind would reject physical rescue when they realize they're in need of being rescued? Who would do that? I can't think of anybody that would choose to die instead of go with the rescuers, right? And yet, spiritually speaking, people do this every single day. Either they are completely unaware of their spiritual need of salvation. And although their house is on fire, nobody has gotten through to them and told them, you are in serious danger. Or they've been told and they've rejected the message. And they've said, who are you to tell me this is the only way to be saved? I'll take care of this myself. And Jesus goes on in the next few verses to expose the heart issue behind that. See, it's not an intellectual one. 
One time I heard a guy by the name of Dr. Frank Turek say, when you're having a conversation with an unsaved person, or especially someone who claims to be an atheist, who has built their you know, mind around, quote, logic and reason, ask them this one simple question. If I could prove to you that, Christi- that Christianity, easy for you to say, if I could prove to you that Christianity is true, would you become a Christian? And watch what their response is. Because often they will respond, no. Whoa, whoa, wait a minute. Even if I can prove to you beyond the shadow of a doubt that Christianity is true, are you telling me you would still not become a Christian even though you claim to follow logic and reason? See, here's the deal. When they answer that honestly, what they're exposing is it's a heart issue. They don't want Christianity to be true. And Jesus is about to tell us why this is. In the next verse, verse 19, Jesus goes on to say this. He says, this is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. Are you catching what Jesus is saying here? Let me put it into some different words. In other words, my default setting, or a Bible way of saying that is because of my sin nature, my default setting is to hide from God's light in the shadows of sin. I don't want to get close to the light of Jesus because it's going to expose me. Or, by the way, here's another thing we hide behind. Not only do we hide in the darkness of the shadows of sin, we also find hiding place in the shadows of morality that has been divorced from a relationship with Jesus Christ. Or you could also say religion. We hide behind our own religion sometimes, and we can look from our religious shadows and go, well, I'm not one of those people. I'm not one of those people that are lost in darkness. I have a form of godliness. I don't know Jesus, but I have religion, and I hide in the shadows of my morality, or I hide in the shadows of my flat-out evil heathen nature that doesn't even pretend to be religious. But either way, I'm repelled By the light of Jesus, I would prefer to stay in the shadows of sin or man-made self-righteousness. And see, the thing is, I fear getting close to Jesus because the light of Jesus will expose me for who I really am and what I really am. And I don't want to look at that. I don't want to come face to face in the open daylight with the things that I've been hiding in the dark. Have you ever heard the statement that nothing good grows in the dark? Think about it. I mean, what grows in the dark? The only thing that I really know of that grows well in the dark is mold. Nasty, toxic, unhealthy mold grows well in dark places. Healthy things grow in the light. And what Jesus is saying here is this. Here's the reason that we reject God's offer of salvation, and here's the reason that we thus choose our own condemnation. It's because we don't want to get close to the light of Jesus, because we would rather stay in darkness. It's a hard issue. 
What I want to challenge God's people in the sound of my voice, whether you know Christ or whether you don't know Christ, I want to challenge you to walk in the light. To walk in the light. Quick story. I heard a, a while back I was having a conversation with a pastor friend, and I'm really, I'm really wanting a, a Christian audience to hear what I'm getting ready to say. Uh, if you're not a Christ follower, I've got something for you in just a moment I'm going to share. But f- for those of you that are Christians, what I want to say is this. Sometimes we choose, even though we claim to know Jesus and be in the light, we still choose to go back to the shadows of darkness and remain v- veiled. Like we, we live this veiled life. That's a phrase I heard from a pastor recently where he and I were having a conversation about someone that we both know, kind of a mutual friend of ours. Sadly, someone who had been in a place of pastoral leadership, a place where many people looked to this person as a spiritual leader, and on the outside there was this facade, this plastic appearance on the outside that everything was good. And so everyone else would sit back and say, wow, that person's got it all together. They're a Christ follower. I mean, their life looks like everything's good, but the reality is this person was not walking in the light. They had so many areas of their life being lived behind a veil. They had all these dark areas of their life that they did not submit to Jesus, and eventually that darkness overtook them. And I guess I just want to challenge the believers in the sound of my voice today to live an unveiled life. What I mean by that is I'm challenging you to walk in the truth and to walk in the light And to not have a bunch of areas of your life that are hidden in secret that people don't know about. This little thing that I don't share with anybody because I kind of like this dark corner of my life. And instead to just let Jesus expose that for what it is and deal with it. You say, well, John, this has been kind of fun, but so what? Like, what do I do with this information that we've heard today? What do I do with these verses that we've read in John three sixteen through 21. Well, I've got three applications that I want to offer up. And maybe one or more of these will, will speak to, to all of you. Here's the first thing that I want to say is this. By way of application, Jesus makes it clear that I must make a decision. And you'll notice on your handouts, I've given you kind of several different descriptions of what this decision is. What it is that you and I have to choose between. And and Scripture makes it really clear, this is what we're choosing between. Eternal life versus eternal death. Salvation versus damnation. Forgiveness versus condemnation. Light versus darkness. Truth versus falsehood. It really is that simple. We can choose Jesus, the one and only way to eternal life, to the gift of having our sins forgiven to freedom, to fulfillment, to purpose. Jesus is the path for all of that, and we can choose him. Or we can choose to stay in darkness and therefore choose condemnation and eternal separation from God. And being guilty, when we stand before the Lord of every single sin that we've ever committed, standing guilty before him and having to pay the penalty for our sins, a choice. And I believe this morning there are people in the sound of my voice that you have not yet chosen Jesus Christ. And I beg you, I plead with you, choose life. Choose 
to follow Jesus Christ and to accept him as the Lord and Savior of your life. Choose life. That's one of the applications of this. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but will have everlasting life. Here's another application that I want to share with you and it's simply this. Accept and believe that I am deeply loved by God. Like I said earlier, I believe maybe God brought someone to one of our locations this weekend because that's his message for you. is to just receive that. To just accept that there is a God in heaven who loves you, not because of what you've done or haven't done, but because of the fact that you are created in his image and you have incredible worth and value in his sight, and he loves you. He loves you. I, I want to challenge you with this question. How would your life change? Like, think about a current situation, a trial, a hardship, a problem that you're facing right now. How would your life change if you took on that perspective of being deeply loved and favored by God? See, there, there's kind of a perversion of the gospel out there that basically teaches if you accept Jesus, you should not expect any problems in your life because Jesus only makes life better. That's it. It just, everything moves up and to the right and it's all better when we choose Jesus. And I'm here to tell you that that's only half true. Like, yes, Jesus is the best choice you could ever make, but I'm also here to tell you that does not exempt you from experiencing real issues in your life hardship and trials and tribulation. God's people can and do and will go through that stuff. But imagine how your perspective could change if you just simply received this truth that you are deeply loved by God. And that although it's not going to necessarily spare you from going through some stuff, you have the promise of a father who knows what's best for you, a father who loves you, a father who has promised, I will never leave you or forsake you, a father who has promised, I will not let this thing overtake you. I will not let you be tempted or tested beyond what you can bear. I will provide salvation. I will provide a way out. A father who's a healer, a father who's a provider. What if you actually believe that that God loves you? How would it change your life? How would it change your posture tomorrow morning on Monday when you get up to go face the world knowing that I know I've got some issues, I know I've got some problems, but I have a father who loves me deeply because his word tells me so. Accept it. Receive that. Believe that today. And then finally, here's another application, and I've already hit on this, but I'll say it one more time. Confess anything that I've been hiding in the darkness and choose to walk in the light? Here's an uncomfortable question that may cause some of us to squirm. Is there an area of darkness in your life that you've been hiding from God's truth and from God's light? Would it help if you knew that we serve a God who's not in the business of condemnation, but he's in the business of salvation? Would it help you to approach that God and bring that junk from the darkness out into the light and just let it be exposed for what it is. 
and let the light of Jesus expose it and call it what he calls it. It's wrong. It's sin. It's evil. It needs to be dealt with. It needs to be confessed. Absolutely to the Lord, quite possibly to some other people in your life where you just live an unveiled life where I don't have secrets that I'm always worried about someone finding out. Can you just breathe that in for a moment, the freedom that would come with that? To not always be trying to keep up this facade that you've been living this secret life that no one else knows about. Don't reject the light of Jesus. Don't repel the light of Jesus. Move towards it. Walk toward the light of Jesus. Confess anything that is in the darkness that needs to come out. I'm going to pray for us as a church, man. I just pray that God uses this message however he sees fit. He's promised in his word that his word will not return onto him void. And what that means is that this message right now is speaking. God's using it. The Spirit of God is speaking to hearts right now. I don't know what's going on in your life. I don't know what area you need to apply this to your life and to your heart. But the Holy Spirit does. He sees everything. There's nothing that is hidden from him. And my challenge to you today, dear friend, is do not suppress the work that the Holy Spirit's trying to do in your heart. Whether you need to make the decision to receive him as your Lord and Savior, whether you just need to make the decision to believe that he actually loves you, or whether you need to go through some unpleasant and uncomfortable confession that will ultimately bring about freedom as you walk in the light my prayer is that you will not suppress that work that god is doing in your heart but you'll you'll cooperate with it and go with it let me pray for you let's close in a word of prayer father in heaven i thank you for this time that you've given to us and thank you for this amazing promise from john chapter 3 where you say that you love the world so much you gave the very best that you had to give in your son jesus to come to this earth and to take our sin upon himself so that we could be saved through faith in Jesus. God, I pray right now, if there's anybody in this church, anybody watching this online at this moment who has never trusted in you for the gift of eternal life, for the forgiveness of their sin, Holy Spirit, right now, I pray that you would just convict their heart and that they would make a decision to receive you into their life, that they would put their faith and trust in you. Lord, I pray that you would just speak your word of love over each and every heart that's here today. I pray that we would just, in a fresh new way, receive this message that you really do love us. And it's not because we've had to try hard to be lovable. You simply love us for who we are as your precious created beings. Lord, I pray if there's something in this church that's just been like mold growing in the dark shadows of sin that needs to be brought out into your precious, purifying light. I pray that right now you would give conviction where conviction is needed. And that we would be men and women that walk in an unveiled life, living in the truth, walking in the truth of you, Jesus, with no secrets to be hidden and covered up in our past but just freely living our lives for the world to see. I've got nothing to hide. I'm not perfect. I've made mistakes. But I have been bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ, and he has brought me from the darkness out into the light, and it's so liberating to live there. God, I pray you do that work in our hearts. Use this message in any way you see fit, Lord Jesus. We love you. 
It's in your precious and powerful name we pray these things. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to the Rescue Church Past Messages. To hear our messages live, head to one of our physical campuses or check out our iCampus at therescuechurch.tv every Sunday at 10 a.m.